Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, I think we've decanted for long enough. It's time to sit back and enjoy Two Sharp Reds with Mark Schwarzer and Ollie Geel. Okay, welcome back to another episode of the Two Sharp Reds featuring myself, Ollie Gill, Australia's third favourite son, and also now currently this week third favourite Silver Fox because he's just looking a little bit more silver than normal after the festive period. Is there any reason for that, Mark? I just thought maybe it was the sunlight coming through the window Could there, be that. And, you know, ricocheting off my beautiful bonnet. Maybe <laughs> you're not. You're beautiful. Um, what's well, no bonnet? Bonnet. Yeah, no, listen, I've had a great festive period, um, one that I, you know, as a footballer, you very rarely had a chance to, to celebrate and enjoy, so it's been brilliant. Uh, firstly, on Christmas Day, I had a very quiet period of time with my family, just myself, and my, my two kids and my wife. However, my wife was in bed all day, had a, like a 24-hour bug, uh, long story, but coming back from skiing, vomiting all the way back, she actually didn't even want to come back. She was like, mm. I've got to stay in a hotel. I went, nope. You're going and you're catching this plane and we're going home. The kids will be devastated if we don't turn up for, you know, for, for Christmas. So anyway, she spent most of the day in bed. I spent most of the day in the kitchen with the kids and just cooking and having a good time. And, and then, uh, you know, within 24 hours, she was feeling a lot, lot better. Anyway, we had friends over from Spain, enjoyed New Year's and partied until about 5.30 in the morning on no, New Year's Day. You I did, did not. Yeah, no, I was actually behaving like a uh, teenager again, which was quite... Quite enjoyable Making for Making up change. for lost time, I think. Is I think I was. Well, let's make up for lost time because I haven't seen you in a little while. And today we'll be drinking a 19 Crimes but the Banished version. So this this is a, an Australian wine from the southeast, uh, eastern Australia? Yeah, southeastern Australia region. And it says here on the back, just a bit of info, this is great. It says, 19 Crimes turn criminals into colonists upon conviction. These men, men, guilty of at least one of the 19 crimes, were sentenced to live in Australia rather than death. Imagine that. Wow. Take your pick. <laughs> yeah, where would you rather live? Stay in the UK <laughs> yeah. um, and then go to prison and you end up on the, you know, the yeah. death penalty. Yeah. Or you get sent to Australia. Ooh, Ooh difficult one, isn't Ooh. it? I'd stick around. <laughs> <laughs> cheers, Mark. Yeah, cheers. I've, I mean, I've not even tasted I've smelt it. That is a strong red. Yeah, very strong. Wow. That's got to be the strongest one we've had so far. Oh, yeah. So it says on the on the bottle... That it's a dark red, so I think well, that so it's a, just a darker version of the traditional nineteen. I, I, I don't see any Shiraz. red in that. I all I see is black. Yeah, <laughs> look at that. That's muddy waters. It certainly is. Okay, Mark. So there's plenty to get through, and uh, I do want to talk about that festive period which you touched on uh, a little earlier because it does fascinate me with it when it comes to footballers and whether or not you have to, you know, you miss out on certain activities around the Christmas period. So. I want to pick your brains about that, but we might save that for the halftime drinks because there's been plenty of games since we last uh, had a chat together. And I want to start with Tottenham. They've had a very interesting start to the festive period. First of all, they drew to Norwich 
and then lost to Southampton. I, I guess let's try and think back if we can to the Norwich game. I mean, what's going wrong? Because they, they slowly started to have a, a really positive start. We saw in individuals like Deli Alley just totally turning around his performance. Son's been fantastic. Harry Kane's been consistent. And then it all just starts to, to go wrong. I think one of the problems um, is, is, is a continuous problem that's, uh, that the UK have is the fact that there are so many games over a short period of time. Tottenham, as we know, don't have the biggest squad, or definitely not the depth in their squad. So I think that because of the festive period, because of the game so thick and fast, it's difficult for players like Deli Ali, Harry Kane, Son, the likes, to, to, to back it up again. And uh, they're being they're being found out a little bit. You know, we know that they've had defensive issues. So to go to Norwich and draw two two is is a, is a bad result for for Tottenham. No 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 two words about it. But we expect Norwich to play good football. We expect them to score goals. You know, listen, Norwich is a really tough place to go to. Uh, I remember one year I was there with Middlesbrough, and uh, we actually were behind one nil to start with, and then all of a sudden we we scored four four goals, and we ended up being four one up. And we're like, we're cruising and we're thinking, right, you know, there's a great result, great performance, really happy with this. And then 80th minute, they score and it's 4-2 and you're thinking, okay, all right, 4-2, we'll, we'll see out the last 10 minutes, we'll be okay. And then we did until the 90th, conceded another, a third, and then it's 4-3. And then literally within a couple of seconds or I don't know, 30, 40 seconds, they've come up and scored an equalizer, four all. Um, and uh, we come away. We came away from the game as if we'd lost in the change room. You wouldn't want to be there because, mm. I mean, the shouting, the screaming, the angry, the fight, the angriness that was there, the fighting that was going on, uh, wasn't a pleasant sight to be seen. Uh, and I remember um, uh, Steve McLaren was furious. So he was actually pinker and redder than he normally is in his face. Sure. And then uh, let's move on then to I guess the game against Southampton. Which was was even worse for Tottenham, and and I understand what you're saying about the the busy period that is that we find ourselves in. But the only thing I would say to that is that everyone you know has to play the same amount of the fixtures. You know, we look at Liverpool who are playing almost twice as many. It's crazy. So Tottenham, yes, might be f- being found out, but how is this a thing? Yeah, but I think also with Tottenham, um, they've played pretty much the same eleven all the way through. I mean, I know when when Jose went there to the club, he said, "I, I can't rest Harry Kane." He's too, he's too important, too valuable to the team. And obviously, they've come unstuck. Now him pulling up lame, has a hamstring injury, and he's having a second scan apparently because they just want to try and uh, get to the bottom of you know exactly the extent of the, the injury. And they're saying it's between four and eight weeks. I mean, that's mm. a huge loss uh, to be without him. Obviously, uh, Son's been uh, suspended, so they've missed him tremendously. And that's going to be a big blow to them. Whereas... The other teams like Liverpool. Liverpool have managed that situation pretty well, and he's been able to 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 rest players, bring players, you know, bring players off earlier. And uh, I think they've also been a little bit fortunate because there is an element of of luck, but it's a lot of it's down to management. You know, players being fit, but the medical staff, the sports science department, managing each of the players. Um, and also the, as a collective, as a team. So looking at the managing side of things, Jose Mourinho, I mean, it wasn't even a day into the new year, the new decade, and he already gave us one of possibly the best quote that we'll have in 2020, which was, I deserved the yellow card, I was rude, 
but I was being rude to an idiot. And so this was in reference to what it, what it appeared like he was going over to the Southampton bench and spying on, on what they were Apparently writing. Apparently was a goalkeeping coach for Southampton. Uh, he, was, he was upset with. And yeah, he did go over and, and uh, it was just, I think, Jose's reaction. I think it was a spur of the moment uh, uh, reaction. And like he said, he knew what he did was going to be, you know, he was going to be actually handed out a yellow card to. But obviously, he wanted to give his side of the uh, of the account anyway, or or at least have another dig to say why he did it. And uh, typical Jose Mourinho frustration, trying to be a bit of deflection away from his team's performance. Um, but also, let's be honest, a very dogged and a determined performance by Southampton. Um, and it's been it's been great to see because you know we see at one end of the table where the Premier League title looks like it's being run away with. Looks like you know it's Liverpool's to lose. Of yep. course, um, Liverpool, it would be one of the biggest disasters, I think, in Premier League history if Liverpool were to lose the the, the, the title from this point onwards. Um, and uh, what's becoming really interesting is that battle down the bottom. And there are any number of probably seven or eight teams that could easily be dragged down into those positions and those relegation positions. Well, it's funny, isn't it? Because some years, you know, we've got the exact same battle that's happening down at the bottom, but at the top. And that's obviously what you're you're naturally more interested in watching. But at the moment, I mean, even Norwich, as you just mentioned there, like statistically and mathematically, they're probably going to find themselves, you know, in a really difficult position to get out of that relegation zone. But even then, they're playing reasonable football. We saw West Ham beat Bournemouth, uh, which was a huge game for, for David Moyes and the mm-hmm. club. They look like they, if they can string a few games, they should be okay. Bournemouth look like they're struggling. Southampton, you think, probably are safe right now. But then, hey, what, Aston Villa, like you don't know what they're able to achieve. Well, look, even up to your club, Arsenal. In oh, here we go. <laughs> yeah, 27 points. And you've got Bournemouth on 20 in, in the 18th position in that, in that final relegation position. Watford are on 19. Obviously, they are high on confidence. They are... I think they'll avoid relegation. They're, they're, man for man, they're, I think they're a decent squad and they needed someone else... No, someone to come in there and, and, and push the right buttons. And obviously, Nigel Pearson is clearly doing that at the moment. Let's not get carried away, but at the moment, he's doing yep. a very, very good job. Norwich, what we need is... We, Nor- we need Norwich to, to win a few games. Get back in touch with those teams and let's have an unbelievable battle on for the bottom three positions. Because often we have a team that tails off and at the moment Norwich are a little bit yep. likely uh, look likely to be that team that tails off because they're they well they're currently seven points adrift from safety however two wins and all of a sudden it changes and it flips on its head uh, but for Norwich winning two games is seemingly almost impossible thing to do at the moment well they should have beat Arsenal a few weeks ago and it was at a time well, but pretty much everyone should have been Arsenal <laughs> let's be honest <laughs> exactly right well pretty much everyone has but it's been an interesting period for them because they, they I believe that was uh, Freddie Lundberg's first game in charge and Arsenal fans would have been hoping for that natural lift in emotion that you tend to get uh, under a new manager or an interim manager uh, but since Mikel Arteta's come on board they have looked a completely different side Meza Ozil you can't you can't fault at the moment. His game against Chelsea and Manchester United, I thought he's just finding space. He's being allowed to be himself, finding those Mesut esque passes that feels like on his day he, no one else can match. David Lewis has had easily his two best performances, and they've just they honestly look like the same squad but playing in different shirts. So what is that? Why is that? You know, is it a simple case that a new manager comes in, new face, new demands, and players all of a sudden become even more focused and decide, actually, you know what? I'm going to put a real shift in for this guy. 
Did they fall out of favour with the other guy? Did they fall out with him? Didn't like him anymore? They didn't therefore... do it for Freddie, though. No, they didn't do it for Freddie either. So what, it, what has been the biggest difference? I mean, obviously, you've got to put it down to man management. Obviously, there's a tactical element to it, no doubt about it. But there's got to be that initial, that initial change or that uplift in a team performance is obviously always associated or often associated with a change in management. So I think also it has to do with, with, with the fact that players are believing in, in his messages, in believing in his tactics and also believing in him as a, as a, as a, as a leader of the, of the group. And uh, Arteta obviously has laid down the law and gone... This is what I expect from people. And he's already said, he's come out after the recent game and said about Mesut Ozil, and this mm. is the bare minimum performance that I expect from him every week now. Mm. And if he drops off, he's going to be out of the team. So has he taken on that ruthlessness from Pep Guardiola? Has he learnt from him? Pep Guardiola has a, an unbelievable squad to choose from, whereas Arsenal are very, very different. They don't have that depth. And I think he's done a really, really good job so far. Um, and it's interesting because when I, when, I, um, when I was at Middlesbrough, Steve McLaren came in. So there was a big upheaval. Brian Robson had moved on and we brought in Steve McLaren, the club brought in Steve McLaren. And he came in and changed a lot. He changed the, the dynamics of the club, the way it operated, um, the setup of the change rooms, the offices, what mem- which, mem- which members of staff were in which, build- which part of the building, which offices and so forth. And uh, we had regular team meetings. We actually had one of the first, one of the few, they were not, it was actually the beginning of that sports psychiatrists okay. being involved in the game. They, 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 had been, they have been involved before, but this is probably one of the first times that one had been appointed as, well, his official t- title was assistant manager, a guy called Bill Bezik, who had also worked with England and Manchester United various times uh, before that. And... Uh, he brought him in as an assistant manager. And I remember we had lots of these team building kind of exercises. We even went away on a team building exercise uh, um, up in the Lake District where we, you know, you know you, you're doing the whole thing. One, one of the exercises were you went out, we went out actually into the forest at night and we were all blindfolded and you had groups, you had teams and there were strings, lines and you had to find your way along the opt- obstacle course blindfolded and... Uh, attached to this line of string and you're attached to each individual person as well in your team. So one couldn't just go off without right. the other. It had to be a team thing. And uh, we did that for, for I think, a long weekend, two, three days. It was actually a lot of fun. I really did enjoy it. We, we, we walked through waterfalls and uh, various different team bonding, team building sort of tasks. And, I, and we did a bit of abseiling and so forth. It was good fun. I remember Bill Bezik going around going, right, we've got, We've got A players, we've got B players, we've got C players. And basically, the A group of players were players that they felt were very important to the squad, to the team, to the club moving forward. B class players were those ones in the middle. They were either young players on the verge of coming through or they're not quite sure where they lie at the moment. Are they going to be important players? Are they going to be part of the squad moving forward? Or will they be ones that end up in the C group? And players that they feel that they can't deal with anymore and don't want, they're, they're not going to be able to develop, they're not going to come on the journey and they're looking to, to offload. And he would literally go around, and I remember him saying to Paul Ocon actually, saying to him, you know what, we've got A players, B players, and C players. A players are exactly what I described. And he said, you, you're a C player. I mean, this was before a friendly game. I think he, actually a preseason, pre-season uh, friendly game. And Paul Ocon was like shocked. I remember him telling me the story, just going, what is that? How is that? You know, the last six months of the previous season under Terry Venables, Paul Icon actually became a very important member of the team. 
played as a as a uh, as a central sort of even a, like a sweeper kind of position, and uh, played really really well under under Terry Venables, and uh, Simon McLaren comes in with Bill Bezik and they completely change it, and he's on the outer, and that's the kind of kind of situations you can find yourself in, and managers will come in and actually they'll make decisions on players even before they get to know them or their first impressions. The first impression. That's why often you'll see such an uplift in players' performances on and off the pitch at a club because they know, through experience, you know that a manager could make their mind up on one tiny little element. And what what are those elements, do you think? Could be anything. Mm. It could be in training. You, You may have an off day. You may not play, perform as well at training as you normally would. It may be, um, you know, you fall out with a teammate on the, on the pitch. And then depending on the teammate is, if the teammate is, in their opinion, classed as a, an A player, then they'll be like, right, can't upset him, right, he's got to go because he's fallen out with him. And this could, this could jeopardise our team morale and our performances moving forward. And, th- and, 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 and managers often, when they make their mind up, very, very rarely will change their mind. And, and I don't know whether that's because it's a human nature thing or whether it's a case of it's an ego thing. They've made a decision. They've obviously, they, they have their reasons for it. Sometimes the reasons will be very, very, uh, very poor, very, very uh, limited reasons. And they'll go, okay, that's my decision and I'm sticking with it. And it doesn't matter what that player does, he won't change the manager's mind. I remember when Brian Robinson was the manager and Viv Anderson, we remember talking about different players and I remember saying, okay, why isn't so-and-so playing? You know, because he's, he's been brilliant. And he goes, our manager doesn't like him. And I, and you go, I go, but but the way he's training, the way he's been performing in the reserve grade, or the, the times he's come on and played in a League Cup game or something like that, he's been excellent. And he goes, you know the manager's like? Once he's made his mind up, that's it. Won't change his mind. And I don't know whether that's an ego thing, whether that's a pride thing, whether that's a point of he thinks it's a weakness maybe. If you go back on your word, go back on that decision. As players... I think, me personally, I actually respected it even more. That you can turn around and go, you know what? I've, I've made a mistake with you. Or maybe, maybe because of the way I treated you previously at the beginning, maybe that's why you've actually lifted your game and are performing at the level you are right now, because I've written you off. Even for an unjust reason, though? Yes, definitely. Some players will just throw their toys out of the pram and go, well, there's no point. I'm not even going to try. So I've had lots of those players. There'll be those who will get their head down and go, right, roll their sleeves up and go, I'll prove you wrong. And they're actually the players you want to keep because they're the players that you put under pressure and you go, right, I'm going to show you and I'm going to prove you wrong. Halftime drinks here on the Two Sharp Reds as we just witnessed the pile of cheese in front of Mark. They're just really quickly dwindling away. Yeah, but I've been talking the most. Exactly, that's actually, the impressive yeah. thing. And then you, wow, how has that just disappeared like that? Yeah, it's my favourite thing about this episode. I like to just bait you, let you go on a, on a tangent, and I'll just happily sip away and eat away at my cheese. This is a beautiful uh, bottle of red, by the way, Mark. So it is the 19 Grimes, the banished dark red 2018 vintage. Well, we're in 2020. That's exciting. So that's uh, this is from a different decade. It is. Uh, which is a, you know, I mean, that's a special thing. Yeah, I'm feeling a bit naughty when I'm drinking it. And maybe that's got to do with the name or what, but it's... So full bodied, so heavy, mm. so dark. Everything about it is is quite um, gruesome. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of the, it's easily one of the nineteen crimes. Yes, you've committed there. So it is the sort of wine that I would like at Christmas in Europe. Uh, you, you know, in, in Australia in the hot weather, you I would you know normally have a either a Chardonnay or a or a, a beer or something. But here in in Europe, 
beautiful weather for a glass of dark, dark red like this. But it strikes me, if you're a professional footballer during this period, something you can't really do, unfortunately. On the flip side, it's something that, that most fans are genuinely fascinated about because how good is it from a fan's perspective that you've got Boxing Day footy, you've got footy on New Year's Day. It's like it's 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 so good to watch, but it must be a huge sacrifice. I know, mate, you started your career in Germany. Who tends, well, they take a, a really healthy chunk of of time off during the Christmas period, and that must be a, an absolute joy. Because I suppose as a player, you get the best of both worlds. Yeah, you know what? Having experienced both of them, yeah, the the break over Christmas is great in terms of your own personal uh, life, your family time. And I did it obviously pre-having pre my own family, having a wife and children. So it was, it was great because you'd spend a bit of time, you could have, uh, you'd go out and have a party, you know, you could enjoy the festive period. I could go back to Australia if I wanted to or I could stay in Europe. And, and that aspect, it was really, really good. But the, the daunting side of it was you did like a mini pre-season again. Mm-hmm. And in Germany, that's brutal. Uh, we, when I went back to Dresden... In my first first season uh, when I was there, we we went back to, to to the training ground and it was middle of winter, obviously, and it's pretty brutal in the east part of Germany and very cold. The grounds were mostly all frozen. We would train on this ash and literally it's like gravelly, red gravel ash. Yeah. And as a goalkeeper, it was a disaster. It was so hard to dive on. You'd end up with massive grazes on you. The, the, the coach would go berserk because you wouldn't dive after a ball after about the 15th time, 20th time on, on, in a row on the same side. It was killing you. And uh, so we'd go away and do a mini preseason. We actually only went to – we didn't go in VAR. We went to Hamburg in the north. So arguably even colder and, <laughs> and, and worse because you, you're close to the North Sea and everything. And Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. And, um, we went to this training camp and we trained three times a day. So we, we got up at, I think, 7 o'clock in the morning. We would, went down for a coffee or a drink or a little little biscuit or whatever it was. And then literally within, we went straight from there out and we ran for 45 minutes in three or four groups through different paths around uh, the training complex. Then we'd come in, have a shower, go for breakfast. And then literally within about an hour after breakfast, go out for our first training session and we train for probably one hour, 45 to two hours yeah. on the football pitch. And the after, then come back in, have lunch, have a sleep for probably two hours. Well, at the club? Or no, this, get- is, this is in the training base. So we were away in a camp okay. yep. in Hamburg. And then probably, oh, actually it wasn't even that long. We probably had a sleep for about an hour after lunch because that lunch was pretty close. Like I was thinking around 12.30, we had about probably an hour break between finishing lunch and the next session began. So you couldn't eat too much because mm. you'd be absolutely stuffed and you couldn't do all the training. And obviously because of the light, because it's winter, so that becomes dark quite early. So you've got to get out there pretty early to, to have your second session. And uh, more often than not, it'd either be a football session again or it'd be another running session. So it was pretty brutal. The only saving grace was in Germany, which I actually really enjoyed, was we did indoor tournaments. So in right. those days, 
your full squad would be involved in playing indoor tournaments. Yeah. And it was the old indoor pitches, so really hard. Yeah. And it was like carpet. But you would get 10,000, 15,000 supporters in the stadium. It was brilliant. I, I loved it. And every do they, player do they still played. do that? They they still play it, but they don't. The, the 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 main teams don't do it anymore. Right. So the the reserve teams go, or the under twenty threes and and so forth do it. The 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 full teams don't do it anymore. So the senior teams don't do it. So then, I mean, that sounds brutal as it is. So talk to me about the real brutality when you're playing in England and you can't have a glass of sharp red on Christmas Day, or can you? No, no, I, I would have. I'd have a glass maybe. Yeah. Um. Just as a, as a celebration, even on New Year's Eve. Actually, New Year's Eve, I have to be honest, New Year's Eve, I would say pretty much, oh, I mean, 99% of the time we were playing New Year's Day. So I wouldn't even stay up till New Year's. So I would go to bed at 10, 10.30 yeah. and go to sleep. Next morning, wake up, uh, happy New Year, and then off you go. Um, and, and that's the way it was. Or, or you'd be in a hotel somewhere. Christmas Eve... So, sorry, Christmas Day, we train. So more often, more often than not, we trained, and uh, you get up. And, you, and there was always a, a choice to be made. So, do you train in the morning first thing, come home, celebrate Christmas, and then if you're playing away from home, we'd have to get on a bus and travel, or you would be at home that next day on, on Boxing Day, so it wasn't so bad. But again, you just come home, you, you do your normal stuff without scoffing, you know, without yeah. stuffing yourself too much. And obviously, alcohol was at, at the very bare minimum, if anything. It was just, it was just literally a, a, as a celebration, just a cheers, yeah. um, maybe a couple of sips, and that was it. What's the mood like at training on Christmas Day? It's, it's a short, sharp session, and everyone just wants to get in, do their session, and get home. And spend as much time as you possibly can with your family, and, and it's hard. It's really tough. It's more. It's tougher on your kid, particularly when you've got young kids, mm. and your wife because she's left carrying most of the the workload, all the preparations, the cleaning up afterwards, all that sort of stuff. So it, it's tough because you've also got to think that you, you've got a big game and an important game because every game is important. And the festive period they come really quickly, and you you can your position can change substantially during the festive period because there are so many games in a quick succession. So what did you do when you were at Leicester uh, at the end of your career and you were living in London but you were going out back and forth from Leicester? So what would you have to do if you were playing in Leicester on Boxing Day? If I was playing in Leicester on Boxing Day, we actually trained, I think we trained in the afternoon in Leicester. So I'd get there and go and I I would normally, um, I'm trying to remember what I actually did. I'm pretty sure... Yeah, so I spent Christmas Christmas Day in the morning with my family, and then mid, I think I drove up, that's right, mid sort of uh, morning, just before lunch, I drove up to Leicester, and then we had training in the afternoon, and then we played the next day in the afternoon. And so you just stayed at Leicester? I stayed up there in an apartment in Leicester, and I just stayed there in Leicester. Yeah, that can't be fun. I don't care what it's anyone not, says. It's not fun. No, it isn't. It isn't fun, but then, you know what? Listen, it, it's, a, it's a sacrifice that you make as a professional footballer. Listen, most of it, 99% of it is, is great. It's wonderful and you know, it's a great experience. And to, to, to be a professional footballer or a professional athlete, particularly in something that you, you've loved as a kid, there, 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 there are two sides of it. There's, there are great elements of it because when the times are good, they're unbelievable. Mm. When they're bad, they're really low because it's your passion, it's your hobby, and that's what makes it more difficult. It's not like you don't have another outlet. 
You know, if I have a, if you're, you know, you got to work and you have a bad day at work, you can go and find another outlet. You can go and play football and, mm. you know, go and run around for 90 minutes or you not, probably five minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, or pop, go and play pop my head belt on. Exactly. No, you probably play golf because I can't imagine you exerting <laughs> yourself too much. Uh, yeah, so, and, and that's your outlet. Yeah. And then you go back to work, you know, and, and you're not performing in front of no. however many tens of thousands are in the stadium, however many, however many, whether it's millions watching around the world. So, you know, that, that's the downside of it. But as, you know, and you get paid really well to do it. So, you know, there are pros and cons with any job you do. Mark, growing up, I always love reading books where you got to choose your own ending. So as we come to, towards the, the end of this episode, I'm going to give you the choice to do the same. I've got two topics that I want to discuss, but we're only going to discuss one of them. First discussion could be about either Aaron Moy and Matt Ryan and what they've been able to do recently and just how good Aaron Moy can be. The second discussion is, of course, we, we saw against the game against Sheffield United, Liverpool have now gone one calendar year without losing a game at Anfield. So I've popped the cork uh, behind my back from the 19 Crimes Banished Dark Red. If I've got the cork, the cork is the Liverpool trap. Okay. So you've, cho- <laughs> you've chosen the right hand. I've chosen your right hand. Well, given the fact that I've then just used my left hand to pick the microphone up, I think it suggests that, <laughs> yeah. it, that it is in there. All right, let's talk Liverpool. We'll discuss Aaron Moy and Matt Ryan next episode. I'm, I'm liking the choose your own ending. But yeah, they've gone one calendar year without losing at home at Anfield. Can they be the next Invincibles? Yes, they can be. And I think uh, the game the other night against Sheffield United has proven to me that Teams are generally going now to Anfield with almost a fear factor, mm. with almost a thought of we are not going to win this game. And Sheffield United have had a phenomenal away record this season in the Premier League, been been excellent. And I thought they would be a lot more um, a lot a lot more up for it. And I'm not saying that they went there and they were not up for it. it just as the game, like I mean, obviously to go to go one nil down after within four minutes is obviously a major setback. But I still, I thought that they would be able to still roll their sleeves up and get back in the game, fight their way back in the game. The problem was they couldn't get anywhere near it. Yeah, couldn't get anywhere near the ball. They couldn't get anywhere near Liverpool at any moment of the game. And I think it started before it. The intimidation factor. I just think <clears throat> Liverpool have such an aura about them right now. And have for a while, but it's been building and building all the time. And it's at a point now where teams are almost beaten before they got there, mm. before they arrive at Anfield. And uh, Liverpool have, I think, an amazing opportunity. Firstly, to go a calendar year without losing a game in the Premier League is insane. And if they were to go for the remainder of the season undefeated, it would not only be a calendar year, it would be a full Premier League season plus six months. So we're talking... You know, eighteen months without losing a game in the Premier League. When I, you know, when I was at at Leicester and won the Premier League title, we actually went eighteen months uh, in the Premier League and we lost, I think, four games. Yeah. Which, again, if you think about that, that is incredible. We lost three games in the se- in the in the season where we won the Premier League title. And we lost one in the last six months of the season. So, to think that that, that that's pretty insane. You know, it, it's pretty amazing to have done it. Liverpool have the opportunity to go 18 months without losing a single game. And if anyone's going to go a full full season without losing a game, it's this Liverpool team. They have such an energy, such an aura about them. And I know there's still 18 games to go for Liverpool. 
17 for the rest of them, uh, for most of the other teams. It just seems at this moment in time, even though they've had the odd injury here or there, made changes, the players that come in just seem to fit in seamlessly. And they don't seem to be intimidated by the situation they're in. They just seem to be taking it in their stride. And I think I think Jurgen Klopp has to take a lot of credit for that. Yeah. I think the way he's managing the situation and, and and he's gonna get he's gonna even get more frustrated as the season goes on because the questions will be the same every week. Yeah. How do you how do you motivate your players? Are you feeling the pressure of going, you know, winning the first Premier League title in, ever in the history of the club, but winning their first were winning the title for the first time in 30 years, but the first time winning ever the Premier League. And uh, I think the longer it goes on, obviously the closer you get towards the end, um, the more those questions are going to be asked and the more he's going to get frustrated about it. He's going to be batting those questions away. And, and, and they're questions that you expect people to ask. Um, and, uh, you know, they are on the cusp of doing something very, very special. They could potentially win the Premier League title in March, which no team's ever done before. Wow. If they continue along the path that they're going and other teams continue along their path, exactly how it is now, Liverpool will win the Premier League title in March. And it could actually be against Everton. Wow, what a moment that would be. And let's not to mention also in the last stretch of, you know, period of time, they've also won the Champions League last season. We've seen them won, uh, win the Club World Cup as well. So, and, and also, if you compare it to Arsenal's invincible side, they drew a lot. They struggled in cup, cup competitions as well. So... You know, it's, they, there's an argument to be made that they're even better than than the Invincibles. Um, it's a it's almost a, an unanswerable question, which you touched on. You know, when people will be asking Jurgen Klopp, how do you motivate a side? And I'm sure only he and his staff know the real answer to that because they know the specifics of the the players that he's got. But quite genuinely, how do you? Because for an example, I'm playing FIFA Career Mode at the moment. As right. a manager. Right. I'm on my 11th season with Crew Alexander. How are you doing? Mate, Kylian Mbappe, Mason Greenwood, Usman Dembele up front. So you front. found a lot of cheats, obviously, in the game. No, no. I've won the... Because che- every year you get, obviously, yes. more money. Of course. And, and staying in the, the Premier League for now over seven or eight seasons. It's amazing how unrealistic that game is. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But I'm thinking to myself, now as a manager, I'm going... I mean, even I'm bored. You know, I go. Well, I want to go back to League Two and start this whole thing again, or or I want to go to, you know, I want to go well, to a city or that's a Manchester. That's the difference United. between reality and. I don't think it is. I'm sure it's not. I'm it sure is. after we look at Pep Guardiola, it's like you know he's hungry no matter what, but he's hungry because he goes to other clubs. It's you know. And, and yeah, and obviously that's another 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 discussion altogether. Is is the fact that. Uh, is Pep Guardiola at the end of his reign at Manchester City, and does he need to start afresh again to get that hunger back again? Jurgen Klopp is uh, what is it now? Fourth season into his fifth season at at uh, Liverpool, and, resigned as well, and resigned, and doesn't look like that hunger is diminishing in any way. I mean, that episode flew by as it always does. You know, now comes the the next week of my life is just sort of waiting until I can have another glass of red with you, really, then that's just the very nature of it. And I'm sorry to the listeners that wanted to hear us talk about uh, Aaron Moy and Matt Ryan. You know, we'll touch on it, but maybe maybe we could do a little bite-sized version. I think we'll do what we'll do is we'll do it on the next yep. episode. We'll definitely yep. talk about Aaron Moy and Matty Ryan because both of them have been excellent for Brighton. And uh, Aaron Moy is a really interesting discussion. And I've got a lot of different ideas about uh, about Aaron Moy as a player and where he fits and how he fits in and, and how good he can be. So I'll, let, I'll save it for the next one. Do you reckon we can get him, get him on an episode, do you reckon? 
Uh, Aaron Moy probably no. Probably not. He's not. He's not the most. Uh, he's not the most uh, media friendly. Well, but what if we get Matt, if we get Matty Ryan in? Isn't it just going to be you two just to, you know talking about different glove sizes and stuff? Yeah. Why not? What's wrong with that? No, nothing. I mean, from a goalkeeper special point yeah. of view, it's great. <laughs> it's great. I mean, you, listen, you're just going to be the spare wheel. Yeah. Again. Yeah. The almost like you've got you've got a left a uh, left glove a right glove and then just a backup left glove if you need one. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I think you're way down the list, buddy. Really? Yeah, I don't even think. Yeah, no, sorry. I'm a, tra- mate. I'm a training glove. Uh, yeah, I think you're just a training glove, mate. Sorry. That's okay. Yeah. Uh, this bottle of gardening glove, <laughs> gardening glove, latex. Um, I mean, this is a beautiful bottle of 19 Crimes, The Banished, dark red, 2018, from a different decade, as we touched on. Definitely my sort of red, but how have you enjoyed it? Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. It's been uh, really strong, um, a bit naughty, like I said before. Um, it, it really fits the bill. It's so dark. It's almost verging on being black, isn't it? it? Even, especially when you hold it up into the sun, you virtually can't see through it. No, and you can't, you you don't even, I mean, you see the the tinge of, obviously, very, very dark red, um, purpley, it's, yeah, it's pretty impressive, and I've really enjoyed it, it's been nice, it's um, full-bodied and uh, enjoyable. So it's gone really well with the cheese, I have to say. It has gone exceptionally well, actually. Um, and as we do here on the Two Sharp Reds, our aim is to compare the bottle of wine to a player. So I- I'll start you off, Mark, because something tells me you've, you've been eating too much cheese and drinking too much of this. You haven't even had a chance. <laughs> over, the, over the course of the last week, definitely. Exactly right. So I'm going to start off by thinking that this player is going to be a defender based off the fact that this is such a strong Wine, considering that we can't even see through it, this is a real brick wall. The other thing that I'm going to take from it is the fact that the branding itself suggests uh, 19 crimes. It's not the most innocent of all uh, wines, certainly of all of all players. So for me, there's only one natural person to pick right now in the modern era. Yep, it's Sergio Ramos. Okay, real like he he is he's a tough. Tough, tough defender who he is a very definition of naughty. Yeah, you know, okay. when, it, when it comes down to it, I have to agree with you in terms of I'm I'm going to go defender as well. I, I think it's because it's such a such a full body, so strong and naughty. Uh, I've got this player in mind. I played with him on two occasions, and I have to hold my hand up. And I would have to say, um, and and let you in with a bit of a secret. I had a big influence in him coming to Leicester. Um, and it all came about when I shortly moved, not long after I moved to, to Leicester, I was staying in a hotel, um, the Marriott in Leicester, and we were playing, I think it was about the second week I was there, we were playing Stoke City at home, and Stoke was staying in the same hotel. And it turns out this player, who I knew, was there involved in the squad, but he knew he was only in the squad, but he wasn't involved in the match day squad, and he travelled anyway, or the manager made him travel. And uh, he was he was not happy about the situation. He hadn't been playing regularly under the new manager, under Mark Hughes. And, uh, well, not even under, he'd been there for a little bit already at that time, but he was not playing under him. And uh, he wanted to get away. And I uh, had this discussion with him. And I knew at, Le- at, at uh, Leicester at the time, we, were, we, were, we definitely needed another centre-half. Um, we were a bit short in that department. And I knew we needed to, you know, upgrade a little bit. And... Uh, so I, I took it upon myself to to chat to him about it and ask him if he was interested. Would he be interested in coming to Leicester? Because he said to me that that Mark Hughes and Stoke were prepared to let him go out on loan, um, but most likely to a championship club. Right. Uh, but he obviously wanted to go to a Premier League side. And I said to him, 
I said to him, I can't understand. I couldn't believe. I couldn't understand for the life of me why, uh, or if if not, how Leicester couldn't be interested in him. Surely they must be interested in him. Nigel Pearson was the manager at Leicester at the time, and as a centre half, ex centre half himself, I just couldn't see why he wouldn't have wanted him. So I, I asked, I asked him would he be interested, and he said absolutely. So I went to the club to to uh, Craig Shakespeare and Nigel Pearson, and I spoke to both of them, and I said to him, "Listen, I've spoken to this player, saw him before the game, the night before the game. He's on the outer. He'll definitely be able to get on loan. It, it, it's it's like a." A win-win situation. You, there's nothing to lose in terms of getting him in. You, you get him on loan. If it doesn't work out, he goes at the end of the season. We're in a precarious position anyway. But I, I'm telling you, I've, I can vouch for him. He's a good player, a really good player, hard worker, and will give you everything. And I played with him. That was my second occasion I played with him. I played him in first game at Middlesbrough. Yep. No nonsense. Really good sense of humor. Um, would crunch a player. Would go through them. Would drop the odd... Elbow or two. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. One of the 19 um, crimes. Yeah, oh, gosh, yeah. Would not be afraid at all. Throw the odd elbow to get involved, be very physical. Uh, uh, I always joke with me, he had a pinhead. Okay. His head was small compared to the rest of his body. <laughs> big, big man, big German. And uh, he's, uh, like, a, like I said, would fit into the group of players really easily, really well. And... Uh, um, Anyway, so it turns out what happened was he got into trouble as well, didn't he? He posted some stuff on Instagram, um, reposted some stuff and got into trouble. So he was actually suspended then. After that game, he, he got suspended because it all came out in social media and the press. And he, I think he got banned for three games. So the club were still deciding, right, do we go for him? Do we not go for him? Will we get him? He'll still be banned for two games. And I said to him again, because I kept following it up. And I said to Craig Shakespeare, and he said, yeah, but the problem is he's banned. I said, mate, I'm telling you now, you're mad not to get him. I said, if he misses the next two games, so what? We've still got 10 games or 12 games to go. I said, you'd be mad not to get him. And they went, yeah, okay, right, right. I'll tell the gaffer again. I'll tell the gaffer. So they went in, he obviously told him. And they went and signed him, Robert Huth. And what a signing he turned out to be. You can only imagine how much that must be happening then. I've never really thought about it too much. It must be happening all the time. Yeah, players. Those. Yeah, of course you do. You know players. You, you tell the manager. You, you tell the assistant manager, listen, I've spoken to so-and-so. He's desperate to get out of the club. The club are willing to let him go. You should go in for him. He's not going to cost a lot of money. Absolutely. You can vouch for them. You can talk, you can talk about, you tell them about what they're like as person, their personalities. That's such an important part of the, the, the team environment these days. You've got to have the right personality mm. as well. Having a great player is important, of course. But if the personality is off, it can affect the whole team morale. So that is another episode of the Two Sharp Reds. Make sure you get involved. We'd love to hear what wines we should be trying because we've been going very Australian-based over the last few weeks, which has been lovely, of course. But I think we should try something a little bit more exotic next week, Mark. Yeah, but today's choice was yours. Yep. Finally, you brought your own bottle of wine. Did you actually pay for this? Or did yeah, you of course give I to did. Hang on, well, or was it a Christmas present? <laughs> No, 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 I did buy it. You I sure? Bought, absolutely. Well, see, we did have a different selection today. I actually bought, because I didn't expect you to bring any. Sure, because naturally. Because you don't normally do. So we had a couple of different uh, selections. We had a Malbec, uh, a Tarapac. Um, it is a, I actually don't even look at it. It's a, it's a Chilean wine. That would have been interesting. And also we've got a Cote de Rune. Beautiful. And I do like a Cote de Rune. Um, and that could have been interesting. But anyway, our next podcast, we'll definitely try one of those two. Love it. Cheers, Mark. All the very best. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 